Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, today we are talking about the 1998 thriller, The Curve. It was screened at Sundance Film Festival under the name Dead Man's Curve. They changed the name of it to avoid confusion with Dead Man on Campus, which was actually released the same year, I think. Yeah, oh man, it was like, like I don't know, like lightning in a bottle twice. It's, they're practically the same movie, but... One's like super serious and the other one's goofball as hell. Yeah. Movie was made on a budget of $1 million. It has an 11% freshness rating on Rotten Tomatoes and is not to be confused with the 2015 film starring Julianne Huff, in which she attempts to see the Grand Canyon and ends up with a psychopath in her truck or the 2020 documentary chronicling the U.S. response to the COVID-19 pandemic. All those are also called the curve curve yeah <laughs> before we get too far into this one this movie deals with some very intense subjects psychological manipulation and suicide uh, to be specific so if those are subjects that you don't handle very well we have i think 29 other episodes that would be better to listen to <laughs> yeah yeah, the movie was written and directed by Dan Rosen, best known for the CW sitcom First Family, about the second African-American president and his family. Aired for one and a half seasons, and that was the first time that oh, this, this film is his first time writing and directing. Yeah, uh, he did The Last Supper, or he wrote that. And that was a great movie. It came out like mid-90s. Yeah. Movie stars Matthew Lillard as Tim. This guy's got 150 credits over the last 30 years. He's basically the new Kevin Bacon. Yeah. (laughs) He's, you know, he's shaggy. Uh, He was in Scream, you know. I mean, I remember growing up, he was like a host on this skateboarding show that came on Nickelodeon. It was like when I first seen him. That was like long ago. But yeah. uh, I followed he, his career, and, and he's an actor. Yeah, like you said, he played Shaggy in the entire Scooby-Doo franchise, uh, including animated Scooby-Doo films. Oh, yeah. his uh, When he does Shaggy, that's the best, you know, yeah. the cart thing. Also played Steve-O in SLC Punk. Great movie. Had appearances in Twin Peaks. He was in Hackers, Scream, Robot Chicken. And he's the guy that... For whatever reason, whenever I see him on screen, I instantly hate that character. Yeah, he's 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 a he's a good target for like you know, <laughs> especially in this movie. This movie is like <laughs> his best asshole character I've ever seen him play. And yeah, played- this it's a it's an incredibly horrible. Um, I, I want to punch this guy in the face character. Yeah, it's a dark comedy, but it's it's a thriller and like just i don't know man uh someone rented it one time and like never took it back and ended up in my collection of vhs's was that someone you 
Nah, it was some chick <laughs> left it at my house, and so like it became mine. And nice. like that's a movie, and it was like I, I even think it says Dead Man Curve on VHS. Like, it's, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. It's this uh, is it's the old. kind of movie that if you watch it over and over again, you're either going to become completely numb to it, and it's not going to bother you, or it's going to push you over the edge. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like one that you can repeat watch, you know, like as a comfort movie. I mean, you could if you're psycho, but it's mostly like, oh, you, you've heard of Dead Men on Campus. Uh, I got that other movie, you know. Yeah. And you put out and you're like, and if you show your friends and they're like, oh, man, what the fuck? <laughs> Next, we have Michael Vartan as Chris. Appeared in Never Been Kissed, Allie McBeal, Alias, Bates Motel. And to Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. Oh, man, that movie. Talk about what the fuck. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's, uh, that's a movie with uh, Wesley Snipes and uh, what's, what's his name from Roadhouse and their drag queens. Swayze? Yeah, Patrick Swayze and uh, Christopher, well, John Leguizamo, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. God, that just sounds like a mess, getting all three of those in the same room, let alone on the same script. In drag. Oh, gee. <laughs> Next, we have Carrie Russell as Emma, known for Plant Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Mission Impossible 3, Dark Skies, and Honey, I Blew Up the Kids, also appeared in Scrubs. Also, what was that show with the, the WB? It was, it was like a chick, Dawson's Creek. I think it was like Felicity or something like that. Oh, yeah? Yeah, that's how she got big was that show. And then, then she got all her movie roles and shit. But yeah, that show was on forever. And uh, Randall Badenkoff as Rand appeared in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, School Ties, Higher Learning, and As Good As It Gets with Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt. Yeah, he, I, you don't see this guy that much, but whatever he is in, he's really good. I like right. his act, act, acting and shit. And, and in this movie... He he starts off as a jerk, and I didn't see I didn't see it coming when when yeah. it hit me. You know what I'm talking about? Oh uh, yeah, I didn't. And that's the great thing about this movie. We're gonna ruin this movie for a lot of folks, and that's okay. Uh, go watch it first, and then come back and listen to this. Yeah, <laughs> or you know, it, it, it even like the plot's pretty much better after you got the plot. It's the moody atmosphere that they pull off with, right? You know, it's one of those movies. It's like this is just so dark and cryptic. And then it, there's some parts that are really funny, but they're like subtle funny. Right. Uh, it's got Bo Vidal in it. <laughs> and Dana Delaney as Dr. Ashley. She is an award winning actor and voice actor known for China Beach, Desperate Housewives and known for being the voice of Lois Lane anywhere she appears in the DC animated universe. <laughs> I love Dan I love China Beach, man. I used to watch that show when I was a kid, which is weird. Yeah. And I had like the biggest crush on her and stuff. <laughs> you don't see her no more, man. No, no, she just plays Lois Lane. That's about it. That's yeah. In the cartoons and shit. Like real life. All right. Final warning. Buckle your seat belt it's gonna be a bumpy ride <laughs> <laughs> movie opens with chris mason checking his grades on a bulletin board he got a b plus in an ethics class 
And he heads into the restroom to have a creepy conversation with a guy in a stall. That's Tim. And he, he it's okay, though, because it's not like he was pooping. He was just in there stealing all the toilet paper, which he shoves into Chris's backpack. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's a classic staple in like college life or just, you know, life in general is like, yeah, it's still toilet paper from work or whatever. Yeah, we're never going to. F- they live in a dormitory. Uh, but we're never going to find out why they were stealing the toilet paper. Give that one up right now. <laughs> Next, we get shots of of the campus grounds. This was shot on location at Johns Hopkins University. And so really, really nice looking college uh, on the outside, at least. <laughs> yeah, we don't get to see much inside. The outside looks really nice. And we hear a comedian talking about how you get. An automatic 4.0 for the semester if your roommate commits suicide. Back, yeah, back in the 90s when like every other channel was changed, it had like a brick backdrop with a guy telling jokes in front of it, you know? Yeah. That was like a big joke, like around like this time period and stuff. So it's like, it was like almost like a, I don't know, what would you say? Like a shared memory or something. Everybody. Yeah, it's a, it's an urban myth, an urban legend that basically the, the pass by catastrophe thing where, uh, you know, if you're if your roommate commits suicide, well, that's stressful for you. And and we don't want it to hurt your academic career. So we'll just give you an A in all your classes automatic. And we we cut between Tim and Chris at a record store planning a suicide and overhead shots of Dr. Ashley explaining to someone signs to look for if somebody might be considering suicide. Dr. Ashley's trying to quit smoking in probably the most colossally horrible way you can imagine. She's searching for something in her desk while she's doing this, while she's explaining these signs of suicide, and she can't find it. Because whatever it is, is buried under a mountain of nicotine gum and cigarette lighters. <laughs> if she's looking for a pen, she can't find one at all. And it's just like <laughs> gum, candy. Oh, yeah. There's at least 15 lighters in her desk. Yeah. It's like a couch or something. It's like just <laughs> lighters. <laughs> so the signs... That somebody might be contemplating suicide. They start off pretty serious and then they get kind of uh, corny, cheesy at the end. Yeah, it's uh, cliche stuff. Yeah, anytime somebody starts spending a lot of time alone, they're despondent, they're overly defensive. And then we start getting cliche. Underlining passages in the bell jar. (laughs) Listening to depressing music, which includes Suzanne Vega. The Smiths, The Cure, anything from the 80s. And we see, we cut to a clip of Tim and Chris, and these are the CDs that they're buying. And the clerk says, uh, You guys know we have Joy Division on sale right now? Yeah, it sounds like my Spotify list, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it makes up a, a big chunk of mine, too. Yeah, it's like, oh, shit, man. Watching depressing movies, including any period piece, Scandinavian films. Those are worse. And anything by a first-time writer-director. I hate those. 
<laughs> that line was said in this movie by a first-time writer-director. Yeah, as soon as that shit happens, it goes up written and directed by Dan Rosen. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got to take a little poke at himself there. I like that. Yeah, that's the kind of dark humor. It's subtle, but it's funny as shit. It's kind of genius. Back at the record store, Tim takes Chris's Zippo and uses it as a mirror to check his eyebrows while he sends Chris up to pay for all this stuff. Oh, man, you want to punch that guy. Yeah, this, uh, this Zippo is important. We're gonna, that's going to come back to us. Next, we see the gang playing tri- some weird trivia game in the cafeteria. And Natalie sucks at it. So we've got Tim and Chris, who we've already met. We've got Emma who is Tim's girlfriend. We've got Rand, Tim and Chris's buddy, and Rand's girlfriend, Natalie. Now, Natalie sucks at this trivia game because it's historical and pop culture figures, and she doesn't know who any of them are. <laughs> she like grew up in Canada on a farm or something, so she right. kind of cut off pop culture. and it's just... Especially when it comes to baseball. Uh, not only is she... A, a girl focused on academics, but she's not even from the U.S., so how would she know anything about baseball? <laughs> well, they have baseball in Canada. They do have baseball in Canada, but, you know, like a, for the you cliche. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she sucks as a partner in this game. I, 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 I'd, I'd probably be pretty good at this game. You just pick a name out of a fishbowl, and, and you, you give the person clues. and Right. It's pretty popular, you know. And when it turns out that when we discover how bad Natalie is at this game, Rand just really starts treating her like shit. Yeah. He is, he is hateful to this girl. Mean. So, yeah. After Chris and Emma have their turn, Natalie wants to leave. She thinks she's going to be sick. Rand continues to be a jerk. So Natalie just walks out. And that's when Rand says that he's pretty sure Natalie is the one. <laughs> yeah, he's like 180s on and on and like after she's gone, it's the light of his life, you know. It and it then, seems like Rand was raised by his alcoholic stepdad after his mom left the two of them. <laughs> yeah, the like redhead stepchild type thing. I don't know. It, it, they're all like rich kids. Yes. And he's there on like a scholarship. Yeah, Chris is there on a scholarship. The rest of them are all rich. Yeah. And that's going to come up later, too. Back in the dorm, Emma has a pregnancy test in her hand. Turns out Natalie is sick because she's pregnant. Natalie is in a panic because Rand is going to kill her when he finds out she's pregnant. How could she do this to him? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how he's going to receive it, too. You, we, we know that by the way they set the scene earlier. Yeah. Next, we're out at a, at a park near a lighthouse, and a bunch of stoners are trying to play this same trivia game, and they, <laughs> they're worse than Natalie. <laughs> they got two, man. They got two. It's the best. Even but they only got the second one because Rand told them who it was. Yeah. <laughs> so they got two with an asterisk there. Yeah. And that's, that's a new record for them. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> Because, I mean, you can only guess Homer Simpson so many times and get it right. I don't know, but, like, I love the way they're all dressed. It's like, they kind of look like Beavis and Butthead. And then there's one guy with, like, a top hat and a Star Trek shirt. He's got a yep. thong. 
And then you got your classical, like, hippie chick out there dancing with headset on. Yeah. Uh, one guy looks like Hootie and the Blowfish. It's just a mess. <laughs> Every 90s band you could think of is represented by these four people. Oh, yeah. No doubt. <laughs> That's when security guard Ernie shows up. He's one of my favorite characters in this movie. <laughs> he's, he's awesome. The security guard Ernie wants to find out if they have any contraband. He is armed with a flashlight. But if you push him, he will go to the nunchucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've seen this guy in a bunch of stuff before, like TV shows and shit. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't think I've oh. seen him anywhere, honestly. It, he's like just the little characters stuff. But like, uh, know, he's funny as shit. I thought he was like a stand-up comedian from the way he comes off in this movie. But no, nah, he's just like a uh, like a bit actor. And he, he he's in the Groundlings, like a yeah. famous crowd group. And also, apparently, he's a lawyer. Really? Yeah. Okay, I can believe that. But yeah, in this movie, he comes off like he's a stand-up comedian doing, like, uh, like coming into a friend's movie, and it's like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll play the badass, well, not badass security guard, but... I mean, if, if uh, what's his name, Ken Jung, <laughs> Yeah. Can, can go from being a, a surgeon to a successful comedian, and then finally a successful comic actor then certainly a lawyer could pull it off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Ernie comes out. I love it. He's like, he has to read off this like security card. Yeah, warning. it looks like he's going to read them their rights. Instead, it's a card saying that he is has no authority, that he is acting as a private citizen, that he has no authority to detain them or their property. Basically means he's a cop. and and he has to read that as the result of a lawsuit yeah (laughs) that's also something like kind of i don't know ages of the movie is like late 90s like you know right frivolous lawsuits and shit this was before the paul blart movies yeah so he wants to know what they've got there, and, and, and they tell him it's just loco weed. Well, you can't get anything by security guard Ernie because he happens to know that loco weed is the same thing as marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, he notices Rand over by the cliff and wants him to get away from there. Rand tosses a bottle into the ocean, which gets him a ride down to the security trailer. I really like Ernie. And and he's able to be low-key, subtle background funny. Yeah. It's not really what he says. It's how he's saying it. And like... Well, we'll see him later on with uh, a couple of detectives when he's doing stuff in the background that is just absolute genius. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure it was all in the script. Maybe he improvised a little of it, but... Uh, a lot of it, I'm sure, was in the script, and he just followed the direction he was given. But it's just, he does it good, you know? Some folks can't be background funny. They've got to be, they can't do slapstick and background funny. They can do one or the other. But this guy's yeah. able to do both. Good improv, uh, good yeah. time. Yeah. Next, we see Dr. Ashley ordering coffee at a coffee shop. Natalie is also there getting advice from Tim about whether or not she should tell Rand she's pregnant. 
Tim tries to convince Natalie that Rand loves her and wants to start a family. And this is the best news she could possibly give or give Rand. So, yeah, Tim's stirring shit. Yeah, he's a shit stir. Like everything he says, even his lies, like you're like in your head. It's like, how come everybody in this universe will actually like give this guy any time of day knowing he's like the biggest son of a bitch? Right, right. What is... What's his secret? What's he got? Does he know where the best weed is or or does he get 50% off at the liquor store? Or why are people hanging out with this douchebag? Exactly. So after he gives Natalie this advice, Tim wants a, a kiss on the cheek and, and Natalie's going to do it. And then Tim turns at the last moment and kisses her on the lips. And of course, this happens just as Rand comes up the stairs and sees them. Mm-hmm. eye level too like right at his eye yeah level. like it's a weird ass hippie coffee shop and tim just leaves and rand sits down and just starts giving natalie crap again she he really loves her so he's got to treat her like shit i do not get it 90s man man i tell you what Next, we see Emma and Chris. They are making out on the couch. Emma wants some sexy time, but Chris can't get the show started because he's got a lot on his mind. They are, (laughs) after all, planning to get their roommate to commit suicide. And they don't ever tell us this in the beginning, who, who their roommate is. But it's Rand. Next, we get a keg party. There is a girl at the front door who is absolutely hilarious. Yeah. She's in a bumblebee costume. She's handing out flyers, inviting people to their non-alcoholic spring fling. There's going to be nachos and they're going to raffle a pinata. (laughs) And everybody going into this party is just ignoring her. (laughs) And, And they'll cut back to her once or twice more. And she's just getting more and more frustrated. And there's four people standing behind her who are apparently in on this party with her but they're doing nothing they're just standing silently behind her one of them looks like he's sleeping standing up <laughs> it's crazy it's all ages <laughs> <laughs> like it, there's like a wad of like flyers right inside the door this pegger yeah right yeah we're gonna have nachos talking <laughs> <laughs> bee outside your door in the back of the house at the party, we meet Jimmy. Jimmy is the developmentally challenged student at this university. He's only here for this one scene for Tim to, to have fun with. Yeah, he'd be like a total dick bully. Yeah. Renee, who is Tim's date, is also here for only this one scene. And she is Jimmy, Jimmy's tutor for computers. Tim asks Jimmy, said, uh, what did I tell you about girls, Jimmy? I can't remember. Yeah. Oh, come on now. Think hard. He says, uh, girls are no goddamn good. And he <laughs> says it with such enthusiasm and pride. It's hilarious. Yeah. And that's the last we see of Renee and Jimmy both. Yeah. She stomps off. Tim's like, he tricks him into giving him $5 to go buy him her some flowers, which he'll probably, you know, he probably wouldn't see that girl again. No, never. And, yeah, uh, Tim. Tim tells Jimmy that he hurt that uh, Jimmy hurt Renee's feelings, and now, yeah, you got to give me ten bucks to buy her some flowers. He's gonna buy cigars with that or something. Yep. In the kitchen, 
Tim and Chris are preparing their fake tequila as part of their plan to, to fake ran suicide. Basically, they're just mixing lemon juice and water in a tequila bottle. But it's, yeah. it's odd looking tequila. They're going <laughs> to have drink lemon juice and water. And then they got another tequila bottle that's got rat poison and tequila in it. Right. And uh, yeah, they're, they're testing it out. And uh, yeah, it just looks like tea in a bottle. Next, we get the strangest game of spin the bottle crossed with Russian roulette I've ever seen in my life. I love it. I and Rand, it. Rand is playing a cross between a POW and Mickey, who was Rocky's coach, boxing coach. Yeah. It's, uh, they're doing, it's called Beer Hunter. And it's a take on Deer Hunter, if you've ever seen that movie. Yes, that's what it is. And uh, after this movie came out, uh, The Curve, people actually started playing that as a college game. So it's like a life imitate art kind of thing. Yeah. They actually got rules and shit for it and stuff. But yeah, it's funny as shit. Like, so basically, the they've, got a, they've got a target pistol on the table and they spin the, the pistol and whoever it's pointing at has to select a beer can. That beer might be flat. That beer might be shaken up. Either way, he's got to hold it to his head and pop the tab. <laughs> Tim is uh, basically the Vietnamese uh, torturer, torturing Rand, apparently. It it's bizarre. <laughs> yeah. But like Rand is playing the part, man. He's bought all. He's gone all in on that part. Yeah. The one guy... It's just like totally not selling it, Jim, or whatever. He's just like, uh, he's not, you know, yeah, not Chris even... is Chris is there just, uh, a, a complete wet blanket on this whole party. The other two are totally reenacting the scene from the movie. Yes. But the it only takes... thing Tim can say is Mao. Yeah. And slap you. He, he's, Give me Mao. Slap. <laughs> just yelling and slapping. Yep. Well, the game breaks up when uh, Natalie shows up and she wants to talk to Rand. Rand's in the middle of his game. Natalie screams at him that she's pregnant. Of course, <laughs> during, just as everything falls silent. Yeah. It's like the music stops. <laughs> just, just everybody was looking at, over there at the yeah. three people party. Rand starts being a jerk to Natalie again, and Chris tries to intervene, and that gets Chris punched. <laughs> and he calls Natalie a whore, and then he leaves. Chris comes, or Tim comes over to check on Chris and tells him that's phase one complete. Back at the lighthouse, we see Rand throwing rocks off the cliff when Chris and Tim show up with several bottles of tequila. And they are going to drink Rand's troubles away. And no matter how much Rand drinks, Tim is very insistent that Rand needs to drink more and he needs to do it right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rand considers slipping Natalie an abortion pill. Tim suggests just pushing her down a flight of stairs. Chris, Chris suggests that since Natalie's Canadian, he could just plant some drugs on her and get her deported. <laughs> These all three of these guys are douchebags. No, I'm just gonna go out right now. Uh, everybody in this movie is a complete piece of shit. This this whole like that's true. That is true. Art. It turns out the only real victim in this movie is Doctor Ashley. Yeah. 
Rand drinks out of a bottle and, and and he spits it out and says it tastes like shit. So Tim gives him another bottle and said, try this one. And yeah, that one's good. He's going to drink it right down. That is apparently the poisoned bottle of tequila. Once he gets it done, Rand starts having um, uh, stomach pains and he can barely walk. Though just a minute ago, he mentioned that this tequila goes down like lemonade. I missed that the first time I watched it. And that's why the ending hit me so hard. Yeah. So the clock tower starts ringing and Rand staggers toward the cliff while fi- finishing the bottle of tequila. When he starts coughing, Tim tells Chris that he put rat poison in the tequila. Rand falls unconscious and Tim goes over to check on him to find out if he's dead. And that's when Rand rakes, wakes up and chokes him before falling unconscious again. I kind of laughed at that choke thing because <laughs> the way they film it, it's like just a camera, right? And then yeah. they got the arm on Matthew Lillard's neck and he's making these faces and it's like a, I don't know, like a silent film action scene. Right. He's definitely know, but, overacting. Yeah. It's just, I don't know, it was funny. It was like, I don't know, the fight scene in Phantom of the Opera or something, you know, it's like, and he's making faces like, ah, you know, it's funny as shit. Right. Well, now they need to dispose of the body. Tim leaves a suicide note in the bottle, and then they roll Rand off the cliff. Chris is going to chicken out, though. But that's fine with Tim. He'll take care of everything, just like always. And Chris turns away, starts to walk off, and that's when Tim says, Hey, Chris. And we see Tim with a giant rock held over his head. He says, Should I bash his head in? Chris pukes again, and when he turns around to do that, we hear Tim push Rand off the cliff. Yeah, that scene, like, out of nowhere, just it makes the mo- whole movie, everything's kind of, like, dark, but it's, like, light comedy in there. Yeah. And then that's when the movie, like, goes from that to, like, straight thriller mode. It's like, oh, this guy's fucking insane. Yeah, Tim is a complete psychopath. Yeah. Like, it went from, like, this kind of, like, aha, uh-huh, funny like dark comedy to what the fuck exactly we see shots of everybody later that night emma is lying sleepless in bed next to chris tim is having a celebratory cigar and security guard ernie finds the bottle with the suicide note ernie is always on duty man he's on the case <laughs> ernie's next- on the prep yeah Next day, we see Natalie knocking on Tim and Chris's door. She wants to know where Rand is. She is leaving school. Tim says he told Rand that if he keeps treating Natalie the way he does, somebody's going to throw him off a cliff. Uh Natalie collects her bra off of the bicycle in their room and a photo of her and Rand, and she leaves. Next, we cut to Chancellor Alexander and Dr. Ashley. They are letting Tim know that it appears Rand committed suicide. They're letting Tim and Chris know. Dr. Ashley has gone from nicotine gum, the last time we saw her, to Twizzlers now. That's a solid choice. Yeah. Tim is really putting on the dramatics. He is Mm. hamming it up. He's overwrought. He is distraught, in tears. He's very defensive. He's incredibly defensive. Chris is just sitting there kind of stone-faced like he's in shock. 
Chancellor Alexander informs them that, of course, they'll be given an automatic 4.0 GPA for the, for the semester. And Tim is outraged by that. It's how dare you reward us for our roommate suicide. Also, the school is planning a memorial service as soon as they find the body. And the, also, the police would like to talk to Tim and Chris. Next, we see a candlelight vigil for Rand in the courtyard while Amy Mann sings You Could Make a Killing in the background. Yeah, that's some more <laughs> of that like, kind of dark humor that's, like I said, it's subtle, but it's genius in a way. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was funny because I was, I was a big Amy Mann head, and yeah, that shit was funny. As oh, yeah, this is 100% what I was listening to at the time this movie came out. Also, Ernie's in the background like... uh. I got stuck with the vigil duty. Yeah, he's overseeing the vigil. <laughs> he's in, he's like, yeah, he's like, he's seen somewhere, like, hidden. Right. Yeah. Like, he's at the party and shit. But yeah, if you were listening to 91 Rock in 1998, you were hearing the soundtrack to this movie. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After the dial or something. After the vigil, uh, the gang has gone to a bar and they are reminiscing about Rand. And then Tim, oh my God, tells the oh, cringiest story he could possibly tell. And he thinks it's hilarious. It's, it's really well shot, though. Yeah. Like, he, he does this monologue thing. And uh, it, it's good to see monologues and stuff. You don't get to see that shit no more. And I think they, like, really help you, like, get a feel for characters and shit. Yeah. In this monologue, it sums up this guy pretty much. And uh yeah, basically, he tells a story about how Rand was seeing this girl named Wendy in high school, and they were going to prom together. And then a week before prom, Wendy dumped him, but then they decided to go to prom as friends, and Rand never showed up to pick Wendy up. Instead, he got a hooker and took her to prom. Yeah. And... and the best part, and this is what he thinks is so funny about this. The best part was that Wendy was so upset over this that she missed the last two weeks of school, had to go to summer school, and started college a year late. And it's clear to everybody that Tim is being deliberately hurtful, and Tim is oblivious to all of this. I know. I think somewhere he's he knows what he's doing. Like he's like some kind of master gaslighter or something. Yeah, he just does shit for shock value and to push people's buttons and shit. Right. Next, we see Tim and Chris. They've gone to the humidor to get a cigar. Chris is nervous because the body hasn't been found, but Tim tells him to be a man and puts a thirty-one dollar cigar on his tab. <laughs> That must be a really good cigar. It better be. <laughs> I like cigars, but I've never smoked a $31 cigar. It's probably pretty- like rolling a $20 bill around a fine cigar and then smoking that. I'm just burning money, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next, we see Natalie sitting alone near the makeshift memorial. She's looking at a picture of herself and Rand. Then we cut to Natalie standing at the edge of the cliff. With her suitcase in her hand, she drops the photo off the cliff, and then she jumps off the cliff after it. That's messed up. That is really messed up. Next, we see Dr. Ashley. She has gone from nicotine gum 
to Twizzlers, and now she's on Alka-Seltzer and a nicotine patch. She's probably wearing several of those patches, too. Right. I I remember when those things first came out, and I saw a guy uh, loading up a truck at a a lumber yard. He was obviously doing construction. And it was summer, so he had a, a wife beater on. And this guy had a nicotine patch on each arm, another nicotine patch on the back of each shoulder, and a lit cigarette in his mouth. Damn. <laughs> the struggle was real for you. <laughs> there's, there's problems, and then there's problems. Right. So, yeah, Dr. Ashley's not feeling so great. She tells Chris she thought his questions about suicide were about himself instead of Rand. Tells him everything she hears is confidential. If he told her he underlined passages in Catcher in the Rye and wanted to shoot the president, she couldn't tell anybody. That, of course, is a reference to John Hinckley Jr., who shot President Reagan. Hinckley admired and studied Mark. David Chapman, who was also obsessed with Catcher in the Rye and who murdered John Lennon. Yeah. So there you go. Your historical <laughs> reference for this film. He also thought that uh, by shooting Reagan, that uh, he would catch the eye of Jodie Foster, who he. Yeah, uh, he, that would convince Jodie Foster to fall in love with him. I don't think he knew that Jodie Foster was gay. No. But uh, he, he kind of idolized that movie Taxi Driver and shit. Too. Right. It, 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 was, it, was, it, was, it was, I could go on and on about that shit. I used to read like conspiracy books about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting stuff sometimes. Yeah. I know it happened like uh, the month before I, I was born or something. It was that year. I was in junior high school. And of course, most of my teachers were in school when Kennedy was assassinated. And so another president being shot, it was pretty, it messed the teachers up. (laughs) Next we see Chris and Tim. They're talking to the police. Tim is manufacturing a story that Rand and Chris were a lot closer than maybe they were in reality. Chris explains that Rand got into a fight that Rand and Natalie got into a fight. And Oh, by the way, she's from Canada. Which prompts the one of the cops to ask if she's Canadian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it works that way. Tim sounds yes, like yeah. he's trying to make the cops suspicious of Chris. Oh yeah, he's he's like, uh, oh well, you know, he punched him like right at the end of the fight, you know, and that shit. And he's like, what? what are you, why? Are you, why are you throwing me on the bus? Like he's like even stops the conversation, and, like looks at him like, right, motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. This dumb cop. The one who asked if the girl from Canada was Canadian says that Chris seems to be having a lapsation of memory. (laughs) And then they tell him that they found a a picture of Rand and Natalie in the river that morning. That, of course, was the picture that Natalie tossed off the cliff before she jumped off the cliff. Cut to Tim and Emma in a bookstore discussing their concerns about Rand. Tim is trying to plant the seed that Chris killed Rand so that he could get into grad school. But what they don't know, or maybe Tim does know, is that Dr. Ashley's sitting close by hearing all of this. And of course, I don't know if she can do anything with this. It's not like she's got doctor-client privilege with something that she overhears in a bookstore. 
Next, Chris and Emma are out at the cliff. Emma throws a rose over the cliff and questions Chris about the pass by catastrophe 4.0. He doesn't want to talk about it. He wants to protect Emma from the possible trouble surrounding Rand's death. And Emma decides, you know what? If you're not going to talk to me, we're just done. Next, we see the police fishing a body out of the water. And it seems they've found Natalie's body. It's about at this point that the movie gets really dark. Yeah. Like, it's like a layer cake. It's like each time it gets into a different act in the movie, it gets darker and darker. Yeah. Got, like, little bits of levity in there with, like, the stupid cops. Right. A a little bit from, uh, what's her name? The psychiatrist? Dr. Ashley. But, yeah, it's, it's everything else is just dark as hell. It really is. It really is. Cut to Chris and Tim in their dorm. Chris is listening to the Smith's girlfriend in a coma. (laughs) (laughs) It's really serious. (laughs) I know. I know. So Chris tells Tim that Natalie has been found dead. Tim says, don't worry about it. Everything's going according to plan. Chris is panicking because the cops are involved now. But. It appears that Tim is on a first-name basis with the cops. Uh, when they were being questioned earlier, Tim actually said, Look, hey, I'm going to be late for a class. You guys giving me mind giving me a ride. So who knows what he was telling them about Chris on that car ride. But now he's on a first-name basis with them. Tim is trying to convince Chris that Tim is actually a hero. And Chris should be grateful for all of this. That's when Chris uh, reveals to Tim that Emma dumped him. But don't worry about it. Tim's got a plan to get them back together. Basically, Tim's going to take Emma out for drinks while Chris breaks into her dorm room and decorates it with flowers and candles. Super romantic. Then Tim will bring her back there. Chris will pop out of the closet and win her back. How romantic is that? I get the feeling it's not going to go that way. Yeah, that's a, that's a shaky plan, man. <laughs> Next, the cops are questioning Dr. Ashley. One of them is smoking a cigar, which sucks for her quitting smoking. She's got nicotine patches and dum-dum suckers now going the Telly Savalas route. <laughs> the dumb cop asks if those nicotine patches really work while somebody's blowing cigar smoke in your face. Not really. <laughs> I love that dumb cop. That's uh, that's Bo Vito, and uh, he was an actual. He was an actual cop. We actually get his name at any point because I don't think I don't think we saw it. No, nah, uh, but uh, he he was in. Uh, well, his his true life story inspired the book that the movie uh, was it Port of Call was uh, based off of. Really. Yeah, and uh, he was a big cop. He's like the most decorated cop in uh, New York City. And now he's a, an actor slash movie producer. Nice. He was also in uh, Arby's commercials. He's like, I'm Bo Vito. Make me a sandwich. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a crazy guy. He, he was a regular on Don, Don Imus in the mornings. Okay. He's, he's just a nut bar, man. He just does all kinds of crazy shit. He's pretty hilarious in this movie. Oh yeah, he plays a good dumbass. Ah, uh, no, right? <laughs> I love to see him play like this character, but like Fred Flintstone or something. Like, give him yeah. a little part. he's mostly when he's a movies. 
he's playing himself. He's always like some dumb cop that gets right. under people again and shit. But yeah, I love him. He's great in this movie. Yeah. Well, Dr. Ashley can't answer any of their questions. Back at the bar, we see Tim and Emma doing tequila shots. And that, of course, turns into smooching. No, they go back to her room and Tim kind of claims credit for all the work that Chris did filling the place up with candles and flowers. Chris is in the closet and it's one of those closets with the louvered doors. Yeah. And uh, Tim and Emma start making out and Emma goes down on Tim while Chris watches. And Tim is just staring straight into that closet door at Tim with a little grin on his face. He looks like the devil in this. Oh, yeah. He knows exactly what he's doing and why he's doing it. Yeah. Well, Chris comes out of the closet and leaves the room, which, of course, leaves Emma humiliated. Cut to students having a vigil for Rand and Natalie now. They got, they got big black and white portraits of the two of them hung up on the front of this building. Next morning, Emma finds Chris to ask if he's okay. She wants to be friends after she broke up with him and blew his roommate. <laughs> and while they talk, they figure out that Tim is up to some pretty evil shit and gaslighting both of them. Yeah. Find out that Tim told Emma that he thinks Chris killed Rand to get the 4.0 so he could get into Harvard. She also thinks he staged the scene the night before. He admits to Emma that he and Tim killed Rand based on a comic sketch that Chris saw on TV. And Emma thinks they need to do something about Tim. So she asks, Chris, do you trust me? So let's take this into take into account what's happened here. She dumped him. Yeah. She blew his roommate. Yeah. She believes horrible things about him. That's okay, funny. I trust you. Oh, man, what the fuck? <laughs> Next, the cops are questioning Chancellor Alexander. Chancellor Alexander is smoking a pipe. So when uh, the dumb cop asks, can he smoke? The chancellor says, yeah, I'd rather you didn't. <laughs> I don't want your smelly cigar messing up my fine pipe tobacco. Uh, they hint that maybe Chris knew beforehand that he would get a 4.0 for the semester. They're asking, you know, how they reacted to it to see if maybe they're on the right track. Chris goes back to his dorm room and finds Tim sitting in the dark with a gun. Tim is kind of having a breakdown. He confesses that it wasn't Rand who took the hooker to prom. It was actually Tim that did it because he likes to push people to see how much shit he can get away with and still have them want to be his friend. What an asshole. Yeah. Tim also says that he hated Rand. He he was very jealous of Rand. And Rand was jealous of Chris because, like you said, they were all rich, privileged kids. And here was Chris who came up from nothing, Tim says, and, and makes it into this college on a scholarship when the rest of them, well, it was their birthright. Yeah. He tells Chris that Rand wanted to get Chris to commit suicide the, so that Tim and Rand could get the 4.0 GPA for the semester. I don't know. I, I don't know what he's trying to do here. Chris wants to know why Tim did the thing with Emma. And Tim says it was the final test of their friendship. Well, Tim starts freaking out when Chris tries to leave. He puts the gun to his head, but Chris takes it away from him. 
And when Tim breaks down crying, we see Chris had a tape recorder in his pocket the whole time. Like he knew this was going to happen. Like he knew they were going to confess everything. Yeah. Well, the cops are in the car with security guard Ernie, and he's droning on and on about the uselessness of higher education when it comes to finding a job, because the human brain weighs the same now as it did 150 years ago. So, of course, you don't need a college degree. But then they see Chris walking across campus. Chris's attitude has changed completely. He's got it together. He's very confident now. Yeah, Up to this point, he's been kind of like just a dead weight in the room or something. Yeah. And then now he's like, uh, you know, calling the shots. And he's like kind of like got a smirk on his face and shit. Well, the cops stopped Chris because they've got some questions for him. They know Chris had something to do with Rand's death. They just can't prove it yet. They talked to the store clerks. They got receipts for the depressing music paid for with Chris's credit card. Chris has got answers for all this stuff very calmly, too. They want to know what Chris did with Rand's body. Now, security guard Ernie is there this whole time. And he's not saying anything, but he's being awesome because this whole time he's got his flashlight on in the middle of the day and he's shining the flashlight at Chris Yeah, <laughs> because, well, they're not in a, an in interrogation room with just a bare light bulb. So we're going to make do with the flashlight, which he is holding under his armpit, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they hold up like a receipt or a pregnancy test or something and he's like he moves a flashlight from that to the test like yeah yeah it's the receipt for hey. uh for the the smith cds that they bought with chris's credit card because tim told him go pay for all this stuff yeah they also found they want to know what chris did with Rand's body they think chris knows because well they found chris's lighter out there Remember the lighter that Tim took away from Chris to uh, check his eyebrows with? We never saw this lighter after Chris took after Tim took it. Also, they did an autopsy and discovered that Natalie wasn't pregnant after all. That means Emma was fucking with Natalie too, doesn't it? Yeah, she uh, somehow made the test positive. I don't think she ever actually showed Natalie the test. She just told her that the test was positive. When Natalie said, are you sure? Na uh, Emma said something about being pre-med. Yeah. So Natalie's pretty evil, too. Uh, Chris eventually pisses off the dumb cop, causing him to go ballistic, which in turn causes Ernie to go for the nunchucks. Oh, man. Why is the <laughs> flashlight? It's so awkward. He's like, <laughs> and Chris just walks off to go to his next class. That night at the cliff, Chris arrives to meet Emma. Apparently, they are back together until Tim shows up reading a suicide note out loud. Turns out Emma and Chris are not back together. Emma's still with Tim. And, well, they're going to fake Chris's suicide. Well, Tim starts kissing Emma, and Chris uses that opportunity to pull a gun out of his bag. He tells Tim they're all graduating together in prison. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Tim puts his hands up and immediately starts to blame all of this on Emma. It's all her idea. And Emma says, well, what did we do, Chris? Chris says, we killed Rand and Natalie. And now he's going to take responsibility for his actions. And Rand just pops up out of nowhere. Yeah, they do this cool pan thing. Yeah. They kind of go music and then like there's a flash of light from the lighthouse and it's like bam there he is there he is rand isn't dead at all cut to dr ashley she's asking rand why he wanted to kill himself she's smoking again by the way oh yeah she's giving up <laughs> you probably get to see like just this lady's fight with madness in the background of this movie yeah she tries hard she tries hard but then finally she fuck it And I tell you, when I quit smoking, that was one of the hardest things for me is knowing that, you know, I wanted nicotine so bad, but I was, I didn't have cigarettes, so I couldn't smoke. But at the same time, I'm a grown up with money and I know where cigarettes are sold. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was really difficult. Especially when it's like less than a mile away. It's like just right there. You're like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Rand says he was despondent because his life was falling apart. He explains what happened the night he disappeared while we watched Tim and Emma advancing on Chris at the cliff. Rand's there with them, too, and they have backed Chris to the edge of the cliff. So Chris puts the gun to his head and threatens to shoot himself. Yeah, it cuts back and forth between the cliff and doctor's appointment. So they've backed Chris to the edge of the cliff. So Chris threatens to shoot him. Back in Dr. Ashley's office, Rand tells Dr. Ashley that instead of jumping, he hitched a ride to the bus station. She looks like she's not believing any of this crap. Rand says that he spent the last few days hanging out with his friends in West Palm Beach. Back at the cliff, Tim tries to convince Chris to jump because he has no friends and his life sucks. We see Dr. Ashley rolling her eyes when Rand tells her that he must be cursed. Tim starts taunting Chris, so Chris says he doesn't want to live anymore. He puts the gun to his head, and he's about to pull the trigger when it cuts back to Dr. Ashley, and her timer goes off, ending the session. (laughs) It scares the crap out of her. She's fumbling the timer, trying to shut it off. (laughs) Rand gets up to leave, but Dr. Ashley tells him to go ahead and keep talking. She wants to see through, see this through to the end. Uh, back to the cliff, Chris pulls the trigger, but the gun doesn't have bullets in it. Emma starts teasing him about shooting blanks. <laughs> His problem wasn't that he was shooting blanks. He just couldn't get it up. But Tim tells Chris that he has run out of options, but Chris might have one option left. And that's when Tim hears something behind him and he looks back to see that Rand has picked up the gun and he's loading it. (laughs) That's when Chris says, hey, Rand, how was West Palm Beach? Unseasonably cold. And Tim starts to realize that Chris and Rand have been working together on something. And now Rand has the gun pointed at Tim. Now we've got Tim backed up to the edge of the cliff. Chris puts a suicide note in Tim's pocket. Tim tells him, you know, it's not going to work because you can't shoot me. It's got to look like a suicide. And they go, oh, shit, he's right. And Tim and Rand and Chris push Tim off the cliff 
and the villagers rejoice. <laughs> then they turn to Emma and let her know that, look, you're either in or you're out. And if you're not in, Chris has got another suicide note prepared for her too. Dun, dun, dun. Back in Dr. Ashley's office, she assumes the chancellor told Rand about the 4.0. He says he didn't want to take it, but then he talked to Emma. And that's the first time Dr. Ashley realized that Emma was behind any of this. I mean, her eyes get real big. Rand says that Emma told him that Tim wanted them all to be together at Harvard. And so taking the 4.0 so that they can all get into grad school at Harvard just seems like the right thing to do to honor Tim's memory. <laughs> she asks Rand what he's going to be getting his master's in, and he says, ah, I've been thinking about drama. <laughs> and she gets this, oh, shit, look on, here, on her face. And he's just grinning, going, yep, that's right. And roll credits. Roll credits. That is a messed up movie, dude. Really messed up movie. It did. It, it. It, I don't know, we could probably gloss over a lot of scenes, but is, is it like a really good character study? Oh, yeah. Atmosphere for days. It's like just very the 90. The production value for that low budget is fantastic. I know, right? It, very minimal like sets, like, like three interior locations. Everything else was shot outdoors. Yeah. The writing's kind of corny. The comic yeah. relief was fantastic. Oh, yeah. The actors were good. They got good casting. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's not like they used unknowns. A lot of these people were known before this movie and did it anyway. Yeah. It's just like lightning in a bottle, man. It's like some movie that like happened to have like a, a similar movie that was at the same time. Right. But that and, one was just a straight up comedy, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, it was straight up comedy. This one. And this one like, was just mindfuck just psychological thriller yeah that's good though like yeah it. this this movie will mess you up if you pay too much attention to it but it's a it's a good movie it's a good one to like uh turn people on to you're like you, you're talking about movies kind of like this and you're just like oh check us out i got this you know and it's like and usually like i don't i have never seen it like like public uh you know people push it and stuff it's like you right a friend to it yeah. And the moral of the story, in case you were looking for one, is that one psychopath is no match for two murderous assholes. Yeah. Oh, man. Or just, you know, stay, stay away from colleges. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was something else. All right, man. Uh, I think that's a podcast. Hell yeah, man. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at CDFPod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to Patreon.com slash CDFPod. Join us next time as we explore another movie so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made.